Um, if you'll turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, we'll be reading the first seven verses in Hebrews chapter 11. It begins really a little mini-series in the book of Hebrews on faith. And we're going to get to enjoy plenty of time to delve into what faith looks like in action. We're going to see plenty of examples of faith lived out through the Old Testament saints. And we're going to see really, if you will, the, the hall of fame of faith. So let's read together, though, just the very outset, Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for passages like this that point us to examples of what persevering faith looked like. God, there are often times when we are weak when we are frail, when we are forgetful, when we feel helpless and unable. But God, thank you that you are able to enable us to persevere. God, you are able to give us faith. Lord, we don't have faith in our faith, but we have faith in you. So God, this morning, I know that it's one of those times for me, Lord, where I'm aware of my weakness, I'm aware of my inability. But God, I thank you that my faith is not in me. My faith is in you. Lord, my faith for myself and for all those who hear is in you and your word and your promises. They are true. So Father, I ask that you would be with us, that you would help us, that you would give us increasing measure of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to understand a good story, then often understanding the setting that the story is being told in is, is very important. If you are reading a novel and you jump right into the novel without understanding some of the background, the setting, the context, where it's taking place, the time that it's taking place, the milieu, the, set, the situation that, that's occurring, then, then it's hard at times to understand what's being written. Now, now Hebrews is not a novel. And it's not written to be a novel. So it's written in a little different way. It's, it's, it's written directly to a people who understand their own setting, understand their own context. But it's important, it's significant that we understand the context that the book of Hebrews is, is written in. It's kind of like the, the, 
movie that's come out recently. It was a book by Victor Hugo, and it, and it came out in December, I think, around Christmas time, and it was called Les Miserables, and uh, I butchered the, the pronunciation of that, but it means The Miserables. Isn't that a great title? Um, if, if you watch the movie, and yet the director set that in 20th century America, it wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't have the context for it. You wouldn't have understanding of how to make sense of what you're reading and this, what we're seeing and, and how can you relate to these characters, even though some of the, some of the truths are timeless, some of the messages of, of grace and the law, some of the messages of forgiveness and redemption. Those are timeless messages. But if, if it's not set in context, it wouldn't make any sense. But fortunately, Victor Hugo set that in 1815 to 1832 when it culminates in this rebellion in Paris. And so as you watch the movie, you're drawn into the story. You identify with the characters. And then you're actually better able to understand some of those morals, some of those truths that the, the writer of Les Miserables is trying to get across. Hebrews is is not written like that. It's, it's written to an audience that already knows what their current setting is, their current situation is. The author knows them really well. I, I know this church really well. I would write to you in a way that there's, there's certain assumptions that people from the outside, if they were to read a letter I wrote to you, they wouldn't get it because they wouldn't understand our culture, our context, and, and how we operate, and how we do things. If I talked about small groups and how we are encouraging fellowship in small groups. You wouldn't understand that if you're coming from a context that you don't have small groups and say, what in the world are you talking about? When we're diving into Hebrews, and especially as we're going into this chapter of faith, it's really important that you understand the context. You see, this is coming right after a significantly long passage of warning. It's coming after a passage where he's warned them not to fall away from the faith, not to fall back not to turn aside. He's warned them that they're going to be tempted to shrink back. And then he encourages them, though. He says, you're not of those who shrink back, but we are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. And then jumping into this passage, he then begins to explain and really lay out the whole chapter 11. So we're not going to dive into some of those things we'll be able to see in these verses because we're going to see them in later parts of chapter 11. And he begins to explain examples of what it looks like. Examples of what it looks like to live a life of faith. You see, these, these people that the letter was being written to, remember, they're a church that many of them have been thrown in jail for their faith. Anybody here been thrown in jail for your faith? It's, it's a rarity here. In 20th century America, it's, it's hard for us to understand that, to, to get the context but they'd been thrown in jail for the faith. They'd seen people be thrown in jail for the faith. They had been forced to give up their property, not willingly. They'd been forced to give up their property because of their profession of faith. They were persecuted. They experienced affliction. In the previous chapter, the author of Hebrews has been encouraging them, saying, you experience that with joy. Don't forget. Don't forget what you've gone through. Don't forget what God has done in your lives. Instead, have hope because of what God's done in the past. Have hope for the future. Now, in in this passage, he's shifting a little bit. and He's saying, now, don't turn back. Don't shrink back. I want you to look back and don't forget what God has done in history. Don't forget what God has done in the far, far distant past. And so, he really begins by unpacking from right at the outset, very close to the time of creation, right after Adam and Eve sinned, 
And the very first generation right after that, he goes from there onward, showing that the Christian life or the life of the people of God has always been lived by faith. It always requires living by faith. Several points, the author of Hebrews, he's used warnings and promises and human examples and and it's important for us, isn't it? I need to see, I don't know about you, but I need to see an example of somebody living by faith. If I'm discouraged, if I'm lacking faith, it's encouraging to see somebody else who is actually living out the Christian faith and see the fruit and evidence of that and see that, no, God really is faithful to His Word. How about you? But I can be tempted at times to forget that God really is faithful to His Word. When I go through struggles and trials and suffering, even though it pales in comparison to what the church, this letter was being written to, experienced. God is encouraging the listener to persevere in the faith. What we need, what the listener originally needed, was to persevere in the faith. Persevere in the faith through times of difficulty, trial, and various kinds of suffering. Why? Why is it important for us? Because we experience difficulty. You have difficulty going on in your life today. You have trouble going on in your life today. You have hardship going on in your life today. Suffering. You need to get encouragement from these verses that God is faithful even when you can't see it. Even in the unseen, God is faithful. The kind of life that honors God is a life of faith, not a trouble-free life. What led to the salvation at the outset of the human race, our author wants us to see it's faith in God, faith that God would reward those who seek Him. And that's a theme that's going to be repeated throughout. So the author, he walks us through a very early example of faith in God. And, and he's not saying, if you do X, then you'll get Y. He's not saying that if you have enough faith in yourself, then you'll see this result. He's not even saying if you have faith, then your life will be better. What he's saying is if you have faith, you receive commendation from God. And because of that, life is better. Because, because if you have faith in God, not in yourself, but in God who promises that God will reward by showing us an example from Adam and Eve's son onward, he really paints a, a picture of the redemptive purposes of God from the very beginning, very shortly after sin. Why did God have this situation crop up between Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel, they both know that God demands worship, that He's worthy of worship. And so they both give Him worship of sorts. And Abel, he offers a sacrifice of the first fruits of his labors. He was a shepherd. Cain, he, he tended the ground and he offered the first fruits of, of his produce. He was an agriculturalist. And, and the Bible is not saying that, you know, it's better to give God uh, meat than vegetables. It has nothing to do with that. Although I would love to be able to build a case for why it's good not to be a vegetarian. But I can't do that from these verses. It's not appropriate. It's not what these verses are teaching. have nothing to do with meat and vegetables. And we don't really see that, but what we can see now through Hebrews is it all has to do with how they approach God. And now God, through history, is revealing those things to us. And so one of the overarching messages that we're going to see from Abel 
to Enoch. We're going to see in creation. We're going to see it in Noah. It's really that through faith we are commended by God. Through faith we're commended by God. You see, it's not our works that commend us to God. It's not our works that impress God. It's not even our faith that impresses God. It's our faith in God that God looks at and says, Yes, that's the person to whom I look. The person who looks to me in humility and trusts in me and not in themselves. That's what I'm commending. And even that faith, that's a gift from God. Through faith, we're commended by God. There's an old song that says you've got to have faith. I hope I didn't just put that tune in your heads. You're singing it right now. But why, why do we need faith? Why do we have to have faith? Why is it important for us to have faith? Well, if you've lived for 10 years or more, you'll know that we need faith to persevere. Even my 11-year-old son knows that he doesn't get it right, that he needs God to enable him. At times, he struggles. From a very early age, I struggle. We all struggle. We need faith to persevere. Life is not an easy walk. And if you're not a Christian, it doesn't get easier as a Christian, but here's the good news. It does have the reward of everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, and rewarded with relationship and fellowship with God and joy everlasting. But it's not our works that commend us. We're commended by God through faith. Why do we need faith? We need faith because life is hard and, and we don't have the strength on our own. We need faith because, I don't know about you, but I'm prone to look at my own abilities. If, I, if I'm tackling something and I, and I can't do it, I'm working on the car, for instance, um, like last week. And I, and I encounter something really difficult as I'm working on it and I, and I get frustrated and I'm like, oh, and I get angry. It's, it's a little small picture really of a, how I respond often in life. I'm getting angry because I'm, I'm reaching the end of my ability and I see no hope. I see no hope in making this repair. And I'm frustrated and I'm angry and, and then I become hopeless and that turns to anger or despair or I just give up and walk away. But really in our lives we can do the same kind of thing. We can, we can see that we lack ability. We can hit the wall. We can try, 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 and everything's going great until we lack ability. And we see that there's no hope in ourselves. And then we, we're either tempted to get angry, angry at God, because this seems too hard for us. Or if not angry at God, hopeless. And sometimes, you know what? We waver between anger and hopelessness. Have you ever been there before? We need, we need faith in the Christian life in order to persevere. We need faith in order to please God. We need faith in order to come to God. Verses 1 and 2, they, they kind of introduce this, this whole theme of being attested to by God through faith. Then verses 3, if you'll look down in your Bible for a moment, verses 3, and then verses 7, how, what in the world is he doing here? Well, verses 3 has to do something with creation. In verse 7, he's talking about Noah and destruction of the world. Both of those things cannot be seen. So he's talking about faith in the midst of the unseen. Then the author, he, he makes four different points from creation and Abel and Enoch and Noah. And each of those is being introduced. If you notice, there's a, there's a pattern here in the way he's writing. And he's, he's writing this way in a pattern because he wants us to see certain things. And so he introduces four different points. By faith, Abel. By faith, well, by faith, creation, he talks about. By faith, Abel and Enoch and Noah. Verse 1 says, now faith 
is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 1, in case you, like me when you were younger, I thought this was just a definition. Okay, this is what faith is. Well, it's part of what faith is. It's not an exhaustive definition of what faith is. It's meant to show some key aspects in this passage of what faith is in the Old Testament witnesses. Another way you could say verse 1 really is this, that faith lays hold. Faith lays hold of what is promised as something real. Faith lays hold of what is promised as, as something real, though it's yet unseen. You see, we don't, we don't see God's activity. We don't see His work at times. We can't always see what He's up to. Often, it feels like we have a wall in front of our faces and we have no idea what's next. Because God wants us to depend on Him. And He wants us to depend on Him, rely on Him and say, I'm going to have faith in you. I'm going to hold on to what you promised as something real, even though I don't see it. Faith grabs hold of what is hoped for as if it's something that is real because it is. Faith gives us a surety that what we hope for is real as well. Have you ever experienced in the Christian life that when you're lacking faith, you're lacking hope, you go to God, you pray, and then God gives you the gift, the ability to have faith in Him, and then all of a sudden you have a peace. And, and when your life is, was really hard and stressed out and everything seemed difficult, your circumstances didn't change at all, and yet you rested, you trusted in God, and, and, and you, had, you possessed, you had a surety of that thing that you were hoping for, that, that reality that God was near, that God holds the future. And yet nothing in your circumstances changed except your perspective. You could see what was unseen through the eyes of faith. That's what the author is talking to us here about. Faith shows the existence of reality that can't be seen with our objective senses. Faith enables us to be unshaken in a world that is shaky. Faith enables us to see God at work around us in everyday situations and circumstances because He is, even though you don't see Him. Last week we, we heard about how important it is for us to look back on our own lives because we forget. It's important for us to look back. The author here is, is helping us see it's important for us not only to look back at our own lives, sometimes you'll have a hard time seeing what's going on in your own life. It's important for us to look all the way back shortly after sin entered the world. And faith helps us see God's reality. And that's really the first point we're going to pack from these verses. Is that by faith we see God's reality. By faith we see God's reality. We see that others have lived a life of faith despite the hardship. And, and really there's a first statement here in verse 3. Illustrates that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the, it's the proof of things not seen. And look down in your Bibles in verse 3. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What he's saying is, no one was there at the beginning of the creation of the universe except for God. No one else saw it happening. Even Adam, it had been created and Adam was created. He didn't see God doing it, but he knew that God had created him because he was there and he communed with God. What he's saying is by faith we know the entire universe, all of time, all of space was created by God's powerful word. The author, he knows, he's assuming because he knows that the original listeners, they knew that God created the universe. They knew that God created everything that was. That was an underlying assumption as he's writing to them. He's, he's taking it for granted because 
he knows that these are Hebrew believers. These are people who have come to the faith from a Hebrew background. And, and, and they know, they believe, they have no doubts that God created the universe. They could just look around them and see the complexity of the universe. They could see the beauty, the majesty of the universe and see that, of course, God created this. It's only after thousands of years of skepticism and us trying to explain our own existence and explain away the inconvenience of God because God makes demands on our lives. And so as humans, we, we push Him away and say, no, that can't be true because if that's true, then He demands something of me. He demands that I trust Him and worship Him. But the original listeners, they believe the universe was formed by the commands of God. Parts of the universe can can be seen even though you can't see the origins of the universe, is what he's saying. And you know that, that God created everything even though you can't see it. You can see the creation around you. It was made out of nothing. But you know that God spoke. And out of nothing, He created everything. So by faith, we can see the reality around us. We can understand the reality around us by faith. He's saying they know and understand by faith what was received through understanding God's Word. What he's saying is that God's Word, it's an invisible, unseen power that produces results that can be seen. God's faith is a, it's an invisible, unseen power that produces results that can be seen even though you may not see them yet. And it's good to know that it produces results in creation because God's Word has spoken to each and every one of you here. And He's made promises that if you place your faith, if you trust in Him, you'll receive the inheritance. Even though you cannot yet see it, you can look at creation and see that God's Word, spoken Word, it results in something seen. Even if we don't yet see it in our own lives. When you look at a microscope and you see the complexity of life at a molecular level, it's, it's spectacular. If you ever studied biology, it it begins to blow your mind. And you have to do a lot of work to try to imagine that everything just evolved or everything came about by accident. It, it takes a leap of faith to go there. It's difficult when you see a human cell. It's so complex that it would be impossible for even one human cell to function on its own had not every piece of the cell immediately been you see, if any piece of that cell evolved at a different time, there would be no cell. There's mitochondria and RNA and DNA and, and all kinds of things happening in each individual cell in your body so that they all had to be at once. And so it's evident, is what he's saying, in, in God's created order that God spoke, what was unseen became seen. And we're to, to have faith that God spoke Spoken word will have results, even though we don't see it yet in our lives at times, but just simply looking at creation. Creation is meant to be a reminder to all of us. When you drive down the road and you, you see a beautiful sunset, or if you go to work really early and you see a beautiful sunrise, that's meant to remind you of the fact that God's word is faithful and he sustains life as well. If you look around the delicately balanced ecosystems of the world, it's evident there's a designer and creator coordinating it all. There's no way that the thousands of different small ecosystems of the world could all work together and function together perfectly unless the unseen Word of God resulted in what is seen. 
And, and that's a parable of sorts. What he's, what he's telling us is that in your life, in order to persevere, you're going to need to know that what you cannot see, God's promises, you can't, you can't see His Word spoken, you can't, you can't see it happening, but it will result in what is seen. Even if it doesn't result in what's seen in this life, it should encourage us to persevere, to persevere in faith. Faith enables us to see truth and to see God's true reality. You have to have faith in order to see what's really true. In our lives at times, we lack faith and so we don't see what's really true. And so everything's unstable. Everything seems to be falling apart. Everything seems to fail. And yet we fail to see is that we can really trust that what God says will come to pass. That He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The author in, in verse 4, look down your Bibles again, and in verse 4 it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So how does the author of Hebrews know that God has commended Abel as righteous? Well, the author of Hebrews is not making this up. He's looking and saying, okay, if, if a life of faith is the only life that pleases God, how in the world could God have been pleased with Abel's sacrifice? Well, it had to have been because Abel had faith as he sacrificed, is what he's saying. So he's saying God commended him by accepting his gifts. God showed that he accepted the faith of Abel as Abel made a sacrifice. Abel had to have made a sacrifice in faith because without faith it's impossible to please God, it says in verse 6. So God, by accepting his gifts, showed that he was commending the faith of Abel. And through his faith, as though he died, he still speaks. The author is beginning to show that God commends a life lived by faith in Him. So He shows us through the example of Abel. He's showing us examples. Creation. Now He's showing an example of Abel. He's showing us in Abel's example that this is really the second point that, that by faith, sacrifice is rewarded. By faith, sacrifice is rewarded. Verse 2 told us that men and women of old receive commendation by God for their faith. And now, each person of old, he's beginning to walk through some of these people who were commended. Each person is introduced with the phrase, by faith, to show that their lives were characterized by faith in God. The text tells us that through faith, Abel was testified to be righteous. It says God commended Abel by accepting his gifts. So the author is unpacking what Genesis is really silent about. If you go back to Genesis and you read the account, it doesn't tell you why. And it can be perplexing at times. I don't know about you, but when I first read the Genesis account, when I was really little, and I read it, and it says, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. What? What's up with that? What's the difference? Is, is God a meat eater or something? No, it had nothing to do with whether it was meat or vegetables. That was, they were both appropriate to what their, their vocations were. But it was how they came to God. And so Hebrews helps us understand and unpack that. When each came, their sacrifice would have been appropriately accepted based on their vocation. Look in verse 4, though, of, of Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 4 says, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, 
will you not be accepted? And what the author of Hebrews is picking up on is what is doing well? What is doing well in Christian life? Remember in the, in the previous verses in the end of chapter 10, he says, if you obey the will of God. That's, that's what a life of doing well looks like. Obeying the will of God. How do you do that? You do that by faith. And then he says it's impossible to be accepted by God unless you have faith in Him. So the author of Hebrews is looking back and he's interpreting and says, Oh, Cain didn't do well because he didn't have faith in God. He did not trust in God. His sacrifice was not acceptable because it was not done in faith. And, And for Christians, as an aside, when we give, when we give on Sunday mornings, maybe you give a portion of your of your income. Or maybe you give in another way. Maybe you have a sacrifice in another way. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your talents, your energies. See, we're all called to do those things, aren't we? As Christians, we're all, called, we're all called to give towards His work. We're all called to sacrifice our time. We're all called to serve and love others. But if we do all of those things, but we don't do them out of faith in God, trusting that God's the rewarder, then those are meaningless. They're not accepted as pleasing sacrifices to God. And what he's telling the Hebrews is, it's not about going through the motions. It's not about rote effort. But it is about the fact that when you sacrifice, know, even though you don't see the reward yet, know that when you sacrifice, God's a God who rewards. He commends those who make sacrifices in faith. Abel died. He was killed. But it says God commended him. The Bible has a consistent theme. You see, this world is not meant to be our reward. Sometimes God does reward us in this world. But this world is not our home. It's not our ultimate resting place. This is, this is not our final destiny. We were created to be with God. And so when it says that Abel was commended, we know that Abel, Abel's with God. Abel was commended. Abel, Abel was... I hear music in the background. I don't know if you can cut off the uh, jazz happening in the speakers here or not. Sorry for... It's in the lobby. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and found favor with God. He was commended as righteous. Abel has received his, his reward and begun to receive his internal inheritance. And we're meant to look back and see that no matter what, even though we die, a sacrifice of faith in God is always rewarded by God. Since Abel's sacrifice was accepted, he was committed at righteous, it, it, it follows that the difference between Abel and Cain is that Abel was living by faith in God and made his offering in faith, and Cain did not. And when we make sacrifices in the Christian walk, when you give up of yourself, of your time, of your talents, of your energies, of, of your money, possessions... We're meant to do whatever we do in faith, knowing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's where our hope is. Our hope is not in whether we see rewards here and now, and so don't get angry and grumble when I serve that person and nobody's serving me. I'm giving and I seem to be poor. I don't seem to be doing well financially. Our hope is not in what we see. Our faith is in the unseen, because we know that one day it will be seen. We will receive an eternal reward. Abel's life is meant to show us that when we make sacrifices by faith is commended by God. And then Hebrews moves on. Look down in your Bible again in verse 5. He's saying, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. 
I always thought that was a weird passage in Scripture. You're reading along and, whoa, wait a minute, God had taken him. It says, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. What he's trying to show us here is that by faith, drawing near is rewarded. It's really the third thing we're going to see in our text. is by faith, drawing near to God, it's rewarded. So not only is sacrifice rewarded, but drawing near to God is rewarded. Drawing near to God is rewarded. Genesis 4 and 5. If you remember, we went through the book of Genesis. There's this long line of genealogy. You see this huge line of genealogy all the way from Cain all the way down through Seth and all of his descendants. And after everybody in, the, in that genealogy, after everybody's name, it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. It gets a little, a little discouraging. He died, and 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 he died. And then Enoch, he was taken up so that he should not see death. It's meant to stand out to the reader. It's meant to stand out. There's something different about Enoch. Every time he mentioned somebody else's name, he said bluntly, he died. And then Enoch, he stood out. He, he didn't die. And, and it said something else. He stood out like a sore thumb, really, in Genesis 5, 22. It says that Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He's the only person in that whole context, in the whole passage of Genesis, really since Adam on, he's the only person that we see who walked with God. He had a relationship with God and that, that walked with God, it, it's, it's meant to show that he trusted in God. Every step he took. Now, did he physically walk with God on the earth? No. What does it mean he walked with God? Every step of his life he was depending on, he was relying on, he was trusting in God. He, he walked with God because of his walk, his dependency, his reliance upon God. It was very unusual in all of Genesis. We see this is the only place, the only person who walked, who trusted, who relied upon, who stepped every step with God is kind of the, the connotation there. Because of this, it says God took him and he didn't see death. The author of Hebrews is trying to show us that drawing near to God, walking a life of faith, drawing near to God. He's, he's emphasized all throughout the book of Hebrews that draw near to God. And that by faith we can draw near to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus has removed all wrath of God that stood against us, that we deserved and Jesus died in our place, removing the wrath of God so that we can come into His presence. Now we can draw near to God in our time of need. And He's saying, when you draw near to God, it's rewarded. Now, it's not saying that you're going to be taken up like Enoch. That was unique in, in salvation history. Although, uh, for some of us, uh, at some point in time, there will come a time when the resurrection happens that He'll... We will be with Him and not die. It may not happen in our lifetime. What he's saying though is that drawing near to God, living a life of faith of drawing near, this kind of living is commended by God. It's rewarded by God. The fact that He walked with God and was commended by God, that's meant to give us hope that as we draw near we can see that, you know what, God rewards. Even though He's not going to take me up like He took up Enoch. God commends those who walk with Him. God commends those who have faith in Him. 
who trust in Him, who draw near to Him. And the effect this is meant to have in our lives is we're meant to draw near to God. God might seem distant from you. Have faith. Draw near to Him. He's a God who rewards those who seek Him. And then He says in verse 6, look down your Bibles again, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards, rewards those who seek Him. Verse 6, it gives us this universal principle that, that without faith it's impossible to please God. Do you believe that in your life? Do you, do you know that's true in your life? I know, I, I forget that I, I just kind of go through the motions and, and yet God's not pleased when we just go through the motions. There's times when we have to do things out of duty, but even our duty is to be done in faith. It's not just going through the motions and looking like a Christian externally. It's not just doing what we're supposed to do that pleases. No, it's faith in God. God says, yes, I, I look to those who have faith in me. And if you, want to have, if you want to draw near to me, you have to believe that I exist. How did God first reveal himself? How did God first reveal himself to Moses when he said... Moses said, who, who should I tell the people who you are? And, and, and God says, I am that I am. I've always been. I exist. I am self-defining. I am self-sustaining. I am everlasting. I am everything. I am your all in all. I am, I am to be where your source of hope is. I am, I am everything you need. I am. I've always been and I always will be. Whoever draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So the phrases you'll see, if you look down your Bible again, it says without faith and it says impossible. Those are contrasted with believe and the idea that one must or it's necessary. So without faith, it's impossible. Believe, it's necessary. Belief is necessary. Without faith, it's impossible. Pleasing God is synonymous with drawing near to God. It was said of Enoch that he pleased God or walked with God. He was near to God. He walked with God. He, was, he drew near to God. And we're to draw near to God in the same way to believe that no matter what else we see, God is. That He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He's the everlasting God. He's the almighty God. We can trust in Him. We can trust that He is all-knowing. We can trust that He is all-wise. We can trust that He is all-loving. We can place our faith in Him, that He exists. The author of Hebrews is saying, way back in, in verse 416, we saw this theme of being called to draw near to God. We've been told to come near to the throne of grace. Being called to draw near to God. And, and we come near to God. It's, it's an expression of our faith and our dependence upon Him. Saying, God, I, I need you. I'm drawing near to you because I have no hope otherwise. I'm drawing near to you because even though I might be on top of the world right now and feeling great and feeling strong, I need to draw near to you in faith knowing that I rely on and depend on you who exist. You who are I am. He's saying it's... It's just like it's impossible to please God without faith. It's absolutely necessary for us to believe in order to draw near to God. We have to believe in the God who has revealed Himself in the Bible in these last days through the person of His Son. And Hebrews has been unpacking that for us all along. Who Jesus is. And then 
we see other places in the Bible that faith involves believing that God exists and that God rewards those who seek Him. In Psalm one forty, sorry, Psalm fourteen two, it says, "The Lord looks down from heaven. Who does He look down from heaven on? The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see what? To see if there are any who understand, who seek." After God. Are there any who are drawing near to God? This is the kind of faith that God rewards. And He's actively looking down to reward those who seek after Him. He's saying, come on to me, all you who weary are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Coming to Jesus, drawing near to Him, it requires faith in who He is. And He'll reward us and give us rest. Psalm twenty two twenty four. it says, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows are performed before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord. What's this kind of faith that God rewards? He rewards the kind of faith that draws near to Him. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Draw near to God. Come to God. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him and says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. So those who are strong suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing even when you do not see it in this life. We can have that kind of faith that, that sustains us, knowing that we will see what is unseen. In Acts 15, it says in verse 16, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. All throughout history, through redemptive history, from Abel onwards. And we're going to see in the next few weeks even more examples of what does it look like to live a life of faith. But by faith, God rewards those who seek Him, who draw near to Him. And He's calling to each and every one of you here. To all the skeptics, to all those who are uncertain and sure, says, test me, try me, know, taste and see that I'm good. Don't put your faith in what you see. Don't put your faith in circumstances. Put your faith in me. Draw near to me and I will reward you. He wants you to have rest. He wants you to have strength. This text in Hebrews, it isn't just saying God gives rewards in the earthly sense. At times that may be true. What he's saying is that God is the rewarder. Um, for once, I like the way the King James worded it. It's an old wording. It says, God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's really the, it gives a better notion of what the text says in that verse. He, he, he is not only the one who rewards, He's the rewarder. 
He's the ultimate rewarder. There can be no greater reward. There can be no greater rewarder. He is the rewarder. What reward are you looking for? What are you looking for on this earth? Draw near to God. He's giving you the true rewards that you need and want. Even though you may not know that yet. Enoch received his reward when God called him up to be in heaven. Moses, he looked forward to his reward rather than the rewards of Egypt. And he received fellowship with God. Enoch got to be with God in heaven. What better reward could there be? This past week we commemorated the, the life of the mother of one of our members in the church. And she passed away last Saturday, Saturday a week ago. And we don't understand those things, those times, but we know that God's rewarded her with His, His very own presence. And then all of us one day will die. If you look into the rewards of this world, how meaningless, how worthless, how empty those are. Because they're all going to go away. If you're looking for an easy life here, if that's, if that's the definition of good, then how horrible it will be for you when you die and do not receive reward. See, God wants us to have faith in Him so that we receive the ultimate, the final, the better, lasting reward. All of our ultimate desires fulfilled in Him where all of our desires will be purified, all of our desires will be good, all those who place their faith in Him. When we go to heaven, we'll, we'll, we'll no longer have sinful desires. We'll only want the best things. We'll only want the good things. And you know what? God longs to give us all of our heart's desires for those who place their faith in Him. Until then, our rewards anticipated by the privilege that we have now of drawing near to God. And we can see, receive a temporal reward of peace that surpasses understanding, that keeps our heart and minds knowing that He is near knowing that the Lord is at hand. We can receive some rewards here, knowing that we, you know, we'll have, we can have peace no matter what happens in life. We can have strength. We can have confidence. We can have trust. We can have joy. Remember in Hebrews, the last chapter, even when they strip us of our property. Who knows? In the next hundred years, our lifestyle in the United States could change. Our hope is not in that. They could take away all of our property. And yet we can experience that with joy knowing that we will receive a reward that is lasting that will last for eternity the last thing that we're going to see in these verses is in verse 7 look down in your Bibles this is by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark what is he doing? he's, he's being warned by God and then he, he's doing something physically. He's responding. It says, Constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The last point that the author is wanting us to see is that, that by faith, obedience is rewarded. So not only is sacrifice rewarded, not only is drawing near to God rewarded, but by faith, obedience, our obedience is rewarded. Not because uh, we earn favor because of our obedience. No, by faith, our obedience is rewarded. As we obey God in faith in Him, He rewards our faithful obedience. We don't earn His favor, but see, our obedience is an outworking of our faith. You see, the outworking of Noah's faith is telling us is construction. 
That should give hope to all those who are in construction here, okay? If God's calling you to, to build a home and you go and do that. God's going to reward you for faithful obedience. Whatever God's calling you to in this life. He's given many different kinds of vocations. He's called each and every person here to be His disciple, to, to grow in Him, to make disciples. He's called you to do that in your own setting. Maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're a lawyer. No matter what your profession, maybe you're a ditch digger, maybe whatever you do, God rewards your obedience done in faith. That should give you hope. God rewards. No matter, you may not see rewards from being in construction. You may not see rewards from being a school teacher, although hopefully you do. You may not see rewards, but God will reward your faithful obedience. Back in Genesis 6 9, it said, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God. Like Enoch, he walked with God. He was righteous like Enoch. We can see something in his example is that he was warned by God. He could not see it. He'd never heard about rain before. Could you imagine that? Put yourself in this guy's shoes, okay? For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, mankind has been on the earth. There's never been rain. You have no context for this thing that falls from the sky. It would probably freak you out if you saw something falling from the sky. Nothing had fallen from the sky like that before. What is this thing called rain? There were no rain clouds and there were no flood. What is flood? And yet, Noah, God tells him something he doesn't understand. He doesn't get. He's never seen before. He's never experienced before. Has God ever told you things that you've never seen, never experienced, never gotten? Sometimes in our lives... God calls us to the unseen. He's, he's calling Noah to the unseen. And how does Noah respond? It says, in reverent fear, he constructed. He put his faith to work. James tells us that faith without works is dead. What it means is that not our works earns us favor before God, but if you have faith in God, it's going to be seen in your obedience to God. And it's in our faithful obedience that God commends and rewards Noah was told to build an ark in the middle of dry land. It would have seemed absolutely ridiculous to somebody who didn't have faith in God. And he probably experienced reproach just like the people in the book of Hebrews experienced reproach for their faith. I'm guessing Noah's neighbors and his relatives, his friends, they mocked him and said, What are you doing? You're building this monstrosity of a thing that looks like it's sitting on top of the land. What is it for? And he says, Well, it's, a, it's an ark. What's an ark? Well, an ark is a thing that it floats when the world will be flooded. You're nuts! What do you, why do you believe that? Oh, because God said it. And that's it. <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, they used to have these bumper stickers that God settles it. I mean, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You remember those from the 70s and 80s? And uh, Really, those are, those are terrible bumper stickers because it really should say, God said it, that settles it. See, Noah knew that God's word was a settled thing. That because God said it, he could trust it. What settled it was not his belief. What said it was God speaking. The unseen word of God. God spoke about things he could not see. And yet he had faith because God said it. Because the great I am said it. What is God calling you to have faith in in your life today? You see, we need faith. Church, we need faith desperately to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We need faith to grow as disciples. We need faith to make disciples in Jesus Christ. You need faith to be the person who God is calling you to be in this world, to be salt and light. It requires faith. 
If you're going to grow, and, and like me, you face your weakness, you face your failings. When you, for the umpteenth time, get angry at your spouse and you sin in the same old way again, you need faith. Church, if we're going to grow as a church, we need faith. And when, when God gives His people faith, watch out. Because things happen. We begin to see what, what the unseen is. God begins to pour out His blessings. I think God's calling each and every one of us here to have faith in Him. To have renewed faith in Him. Not faith in yourself. Not faith in your circumstances. Not faith in your own faith. Not faith in your ability. God's saying, have faith in me to be a disciple. Have faith in me to grow. Have faith. I'm going to work through you if you have faith in me. As I was approaching this whole portion, this little mini-series of faith we're going to be going through in the middle of the book of Hebrews, I was, I was getting stirred up. I was saying that, oh, if, our, if we have faith. You remember when Jesus said to his disciples, if, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain that be thrown into the sea, and, and, it, and it will. I, I can't even understand that passage. But, but I know, I, I can grasp a little portion of what Jesus is saying is, if you have faith in God, not faith in your own faith, not faith that says that um, you can name and claim whatever you want and have that. No, that's not what he's talking about. If you have faith in God, expect the spectacular to occur in your life. Expect God to sustain you. Expect God to do great things, and He will. He'll move the mountains in your life. If you have even the smallest amount of faith in Him, He'll reward your faith in Him. God is a rewarder of those who have faith in Him. Couldn't ask the band to go ahead and come up. As they do, go ahead and stand up, please, if you will. Stretch your legs for a moment. And God is calling us to respond this morning. I believe God would have us respond not only individually, but corporately too. I think at times we've lacked faith individually. I've lacked faith individually, not just for myself. I've lacked faith for what God's doing. I've lacked faith for the church. I've lacked faith for the community. I've lacked faith for the gospel, the power of the gospel in Greenville because, hey, half the people think they're, or more than half, 90% of the people think they're Christians. So I've lacked faith in so many different areas. I've, 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 I've seen things and lacked faith instead of seeing the unseen God who speaks. And seeing that what God says is true, whether I see it or not. So as the, the band's playing, just before we start, Matt, if you'll just play some music, it'd be great. If God's speaking to you and, and letting you know that you've lacked faith in Him, that you've lacked faith in Him because you've seen yourself and your own inabilities, or maybe you've seen circumstances. Maybe you have relatives who are dead sin against God will mock you and reproach you and you don't have faith for them to be born again. Maybe you have neighbors, co-workers, friends. Maybe you don't have faith to grow yourself to be who God's calling you to be. See, unbelief is actually a sin. So let's begin by, by repenting. Knowing, here's the good news, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to make us clean from all unrighteousness, all unbelief. He can cleanse us from all unbelief. And He can enable us. He can say, 
I'm going to make you clean. I'm not holding your unbelief against you. If you repent, turn to me, step out, take steps of faith. Start constructing in your life, sort of bang, bang, God. Taking steps out of faith. So I think God's calling us to repent for unbelief. So let's take a moment to do that. And then, let's look to God who is. Let's look to God who is and who is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And then let's turn. See, repentance is not just turning from sin, but it's turning to God. Trusting in God. Jesus says, come unto me. So let's turn and come to Jesus.